Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts. As you know, we've been looking at uh, for several weeks, and we finished our series on God's story last week. Last week, where we kind of, um, where we, where, where we went through from the book of Genesis all the way up to the book of Revelation, and we really looked at that thread of what God was doing and how He was. That threat of redemption, how God came, and, he, and we saw that fulfillment of that redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and then last week, and the, the last couple of weeks, really, we've really focused on what does that look like for us in the end. And we've been in the book of Revelation looking at this, this idea that those who are in Christ Jesus will someday be in the very presence of Jesus, or in the presence of God. And uh, really, it's so hard to think about what that might look like, that we would be fully in the presence of God. But, but something I want to just highlight that we talked about last week that I think is really, really valuable, and that is for those of us who are in Christ, we are in, we have a, a taste of um, being in the presence of God here, um, here while we're on this earth. We just don't know what it would look like. We're still limited because of our, because of our sin, uh, and yet our faith uh, uh, allows us to enter into the presence of God and to do so with confidence. Someday when we get erase all of the, the mire and the muck from our world and, and all of that is gone, all the filth and all the, the terror and, and the fear and, the, and the, uh, the pain and the suffering and all that stuff is all gone, we will be able to stand uh, purely in, in, the, in the presence of God, which, Dave, I'm sure that none of us um, any of us here would be able to stand in the presence of God and live. That's what the Bible says. Um, so anyway, we're looking at, that was God's story. And so I'm kind of, for the next couple of weeks, what, what I want to really focus on is kind of like a God's story, so what, you know, kind of thing. And we're, today we're going to be looking at Acts, and really the title of my message this morning is, What's Your Story? What's your story? Anybody ever say that to you? What's your story? You know, there's God's story, and then what's yours? Uh, uh, well, um, usually when someone says, hey, what's your story? They're saying, what, what, uh, what's up with you? What's, what's your problem? <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, we're really looking at what's your story, okay, in case you missed that. Everybody has one, right? A story? Everybody does? How their story somehow intersects with God's story. And, um, but it's, it's that telling journey, I think, of faith how God works in the lives of people to bring us into relationship with Him. Every story that we have, and I want you to think about a sto your story, if you would. Every story is unique, and it's powerful in its own way. Every story, I think, more about God than about us in, its, in, in His uh, relentless pursuit for God to draw Himself to us. And um, Isaac Denison the Danish writer who penned out of Africa, he made this statement. He said, to be a person is to have a story to tell. To be a person is to have a story to tell. Well, Luke chooses to tell Paul's story, the Apostle Paul's story, three times. He tells it in Acts chapter 9. So if you want, you can have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 9 and maybe just kind of maybe put a finger in Acts chapter 22 and then in Acts chapter 26, because we're going to kind of go back, uh, not to try to confuse you, we don't want to do that, but uh, to try to go back and forth between some of those. You might put a bookmark in there or something, 
uh, uh, to be able to, to see that. But there's three different occasions that Paul, Luke tells this story. Same basic story. And each one essentially follows the same kind of pattern. pattern. It really says this. This is who I was. This is what happened to me. And then this is how what I am now. It's Paul's story. Maybe you remember Paul, although we don't meet him first as Paul. We actually meet him first as Saul. And he's He's from the city of Tarsus, and our first introduction of Paul, really, or Saul, um, comes uh, at the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Saul is there holding the coats of those that are casting the stones. He's giving approval to, to the stoning of Stephen, the, who was, would have been a leader in the church. And, and, but in, in Acts chapter 9, we meet him on the way to Damascus. He's actually going to carry out his life's mission, which is to put an end to the story. He made it his goal to stop Jesus' ministry, to stop the people of the way. And then we're going to pick it up right there, Acts chapter 9, starting with verse number 1. Let's look at that. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. It's really a simple story, isn't it? Saul has been wreaking havoc on the Jerusalem church. He gets this opportunity to go to Damascus, and he takes some letters with him from the high priests, and, 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 and the, the letters give him permission or give him the authority to arrest Christian people. And on his way, he meets Jesus face to face. And the story starts with this real simple, I think, uh, real simple pre premise. This is who I used to be. That, by the way, I think is a great place to start your story. It's a great start place for me to start my story, for us to start our story, just to let people know who you were. And Luke says in this opening part that Saul was still breathing uh, murderous threats against the church. Now, if you jump over to chapter two, 22, you see that Paul used this as an opportunity to introduce himself uh, to introduce himself just a little bit more. In chapter 22, as he's giving his defense before the crowds, as he's been attacked and beaten, fortunately the Romans wanted to keep some peace, and so they rescued him from that Jewish mob. As he stands on these steps, he starts in verse 1 with this, Acts chapter 22, starting with verse number 1. Brothers and fathers, he says, listen now to my defense, and and then when you come down to verse 3, he says, I am a Jew. I born in Tarsus and in, of Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel, who was 
fairly important uh, Jewish uh, uh, Pharisee leader. Um, under G Gamaliel, uh, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you here today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and all the council can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Well, you, you get a little bit of insight into what's going on in his heart here, I think. Um, he, he, he saw this as something that God really wanted him to do. And so he, he saw this as a real zealous, righteous act to rid the world of all Christians. And if you go over to chapter 26 now, when he's before King Agrippa, after his arrest, he's, he's, uh, his arrest moved him from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. You discover that he adds just a little bit more detail here. But in chapter 26, and if you look at verse number 4, it says, the Jews, all the, way, uh, the Jews all know the way that I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And then pop down to verse number 9. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus Christ or Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. See, this, it, it's the story of a, of a man who is just so zealous for God. He's just so, he, he's in his life, he, but obviously totally misdirected, right? And, and maybe you relate with that because that's really the nature of the story for us to, to be able to relate to that. When, well, that's really the, my direction this morning. It's not just to tell you Paul's story, but I, I, to ask you to think about your own to think about your story, because that's really where our stories start, where our story starts. It starts with who you are. Whether you're a person who's been so far from God that you can't ever imagine gracing the doors of a church, or whether or not, you know, for fear that somehow the roof might cave in if you were to walk in the door or something like that, or whether you've been raised in the church and you, you just cannot ever think of or imagine what life would possibly be like outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't make any difference which of those stories is yours. The point is, that's your story. And your story has its beginning. I think all of our stories has its beginning in who we are. Not in being somebody else, but just the simple recognition, recognition that this is who I am. This is my life. This is where I came from. This is, this is, this is what it is. Every story has a beginning, and and yet for every person who became a dis, but for every person who became a disciple of Jesus Christ, there came a, some sort of a turning point in their life of some kind. 
maybe a, it was a crisis a moment or a, a, maybe it was an event or maybe it was a person who came along and, and somehow did something that forced us to make some, uh, to make this decision our, our decision. And, and that's really Acts chapter um, 9 verse uh, 3 and following. If you, you remember what happened here, he's on this road to Damascus. All of a sudden Jesus appears to him. There's this voice and he ends up face down on the, on, on, the, on the road, in the sand, face in the sand, falling off of a horse. And the question is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you, Lord? Right? And he says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one that you have been persecuting all this time. I mean, light bulb moment for him, right? But there was that crisis moment for Paul. And now, I just want to take a short aside here. Because I want, to, I want you to notice something really interesting here. See, Saul never really persecuted Jesus personally, did he? Right? He didn't really persecute Jesus directly, right? Jesus died before Saul knew anything uh, about him. But, but he persecuted God's people... But Jesus didn't ask, why are you persecuting my people? I think, I think that's a telling line. He didn't ask that. He said, why are you persecuting me? Because when the world persecutes you, the world is really persecuting him. I, I think it says something about your value. and uh, of our, It says something about our value as, as his followers. But, well, I can preach on that another day. But this is about this crisis event where, where he hears this voice from God and he says, I want you to go into Damascus and I want you to wait there until I, I, I come along and, and tell you what you need to do. And so Saul, that's what he does. Saul goes into Damascus and, and he waits there for three days. He's blind. He's, un, you know, he's unable to see. And I think he's somewhat repentant at, at some level because he's fasting which is, was a very Jewish thing to do in a time of crisis, especially if you're going through a, a personal crisis. And so for three days, he, he doesn't eat and he doesn't drink. Uh, now, I, I think about this, and I, I don't know what your turning point was, but I do know this. If you are a disciple of Jesus, a part of your story is the turning point. It's the event. It's the, it's the person. It's the... It, it, it's the, it, it's the what happened that caused you to make the choice to follow Jesus. And I think a part of the telling of the story is to tell that story, to let people know what that crisis event was or, or uh, what, that, you know, what that crisis event was in your life or to, to tell you about the person that came along that just affected your life in such a way or the, uh, maybe it wasn't even a crisis. Whatever it was, something that just, cause you to stand up and kind of go, oh, uh, my life is heading this way and, and, and that's the right way and I've got to change directions. You know, what was that part? Part of the crisis uh, uh, um, um, event in my own life was just simply looking at all my friends around me uh, that I was keeping company with and noticing that they were, just looking at their lives and noticing where they were going, uh, where life was really taking them and uh, that was actually in Bemidji. My decision came in Bemidji, Minnesota. 
um, just kind of went around and looked at these college buddies of mine and going, man, they're going nowhere. And that's going to be me in four or five, maybe two years, I don't know, four or five years. And um, incidentally, talking about that, it's just weird because I get this newsletter. I don't know how they got my address. <laughs> these, these buddies, this organization, fraternity from Bemidji State University. Um, and s some of the guys who were my buddies back then, they're still hanging around. They're just bums. That's all they are. They're, uh, let's see, what am I, 42 years old now. Something like that. Uh, okay. So a little bit. Of it. But back then, I mean, I, literally, I mean, I read the magazine, and these guys are still involved with that organization, and they're just, a, they're just deadbeats, and it's, it, it writes about them. But anyway, that's another story, too. But um, that's part of my story, and just looking at, you know, where they're heading and, and realizing that, that I was, in fact, heading in that same direction. And so I had to make a decision. And, well, then we, we come to, I think, the dangerous part of this particular story here. I, I find this really to be a, the, a difficult part because Paul begins then to talk about his, convers his conversion, um, his coming to Jesus uh, moment. But, but in the process of, that, process of that, he also raises the story of Ananias. In chapter 9 and verse 10, God appears to this prophet, prophet by the name of Ananias, and he says to him, I want you to go over to Straight Street. And he gives him the address, and he says, there's a fellow over there I really need you to talk to. And Ananias has already heard. The word didn't take long to get out that Saul was on his way to persecute Christians. I mean, that must have got him around town pretty quickly, right? That, that it, it must have gotten around town pretty quickly that he showed up in town blind, right? Can you almost hear Ananias? Remember, Saul is this guy who is a huge threat. If you follow Jesus, he's persecuting. He's doing everything in his power to, to, to make sure that you, um, anywhere from just simple insults all the way to death, he's got the authority to do that. And these guys, he's a scary guy. And we know him on the other side of things as Paul and, and, and how zealous he was for the gospel. Can you imagine the same brutality or the same conviction working against you. Um, so you got Ananias, and he's like, you know, hey, I don't want to go, right? I've heard about this guy here. But here's, God, here's the Lord's response, verse number 15. So um, he says in chapter 9, verse 14, he says, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, and their kings, we'll see that later, and before the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He's causing others to suffer. Now he's going to suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing, them, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit, Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Um, come over to chapter 22. Um, you still got your bookmarks and everything else. You doing okay with that? It's kind of hard to do that, you know, to kind of keep those, and then you slip it out when you're 
have to write something in the margins or something, and then you lose your place. Chapter 22, we see a little bit different, uh, a little bit of this part of the story, but you begin to hear this conversation here with Ananias. Ananias in verse 14 says this, The God of our fathers has chosen you. He's saying this to Saul. He's chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And that, by the way, is your story. It's my story to be a witness of all that we have seen and all that we have heard. Verse 16. He says, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. See, I think that part of my story is to simply tell you my story. How I decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. How I decided to become a Christian. And every story that we tell, as we share it with other people ought at some point, to introduce them to the story of how one becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Every story ought to do that. And so Paul just simply tells the story. I was introduced to Jesus. I was face down, face down in the sand. I couldn't have got any lower than that. Ananias came and talked to me and he had some, asked me this question. He said, what are you waiting for? And so why don't you give your heart to Jesus? And why don't you be baptized so that your sins can be washed away? Call on God's name, ask him. And so basically Paul says, well, that's what I did. I don't know how you did that. I did it on a Sunday morning. Cohasset, Minnesota. Scared me to death to uh, the, the water. I mean, I, I, like Nate, I just love going swimming. When we talked about him, you know, making a decision for Christ and being baptized, he's like, hey, I get to go to a lake and go swimming. You know, so that was the big part. The, the, the hard part for me is to stand up in front of everybody up in church and just stand in there and wanted to make that decision. I think that's a good thing, you know. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily always happen that way. I always, uh, this is kind of a side thing, but I, I really, you know, I think it's important for us to stand up to be able to say, yes, this is what I believe in front of people who are, are can hold us accountable and can, you know, people that are friends and are our family, and to say, you know what, this is the decision I'm making today. Um, doesn't always happen. I, um, I think of my friend Greg, who, who just came to my door one day, and he says, I want to follow Jesus. What do I do? Say, so let's take care of it right now, right? And so he he uh, confessed his faith in the Lord Jesus and was baptized right away that day. Um, doesn't always happen that way. Um, so, um, anyway, Paul says I did that. Um, but it, it, when I, when I, I remember when I did that, I, I was scared. Back then, you know, it, it just, everyone came forward. That's the way you did it. Preacher would look you straight in the eye and say, do you believe? It's kind of intimidating. Some of our elders look intimidating half the time. Uh, but, you know, they just, do you believe? that Jesus is the Christ. Do you believe that he's the Son of God? And you have to repeat those words or say, yeah, I do. But yet, you, once you've told people who you are, once you've told people what's happened to you, you really end up having to tell the rest of the story, don't you? Which is what? This is what God is up to in my life. How many of you, can you raise your hand, how many of you is God up to something in your life? 
I'm telling you, God is up to something, right, in your life. I can tell you that. I know that that is. We all have that in our lives. God is up to something. And uh, so Saul goes off to Damascus to arrest Christians. But instead of arresting Christians, he turns into a preacher. And that's a dangerous thing. You become a follower of Christ. and The first thing you do is you start sharing your story. Um, all of us are witnesses, are missionaries in some ways, way, shape, or form, or, or uh, ministers, if you will. Um, doesn't mean you stand up in front of a pulpit every Sunday, but all of us are, are ministers um, because we have a story to tell. Or the way that Paul says it, we are ambassadors. You and I are ambassadors for, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Um, but Paul was so good at this, at sharing that, that it was just really baffling people. He was baffling people with the story of Jesus. In fact, the story really gets told much more fully in chapter 26. When you, when you come over there to chapter 26, he's been a Christian actually there for many years now. Um, at this point, he's already been beaten. Uh, he's gone through the process of being shipwrecked. And he's had all kinds of stuff happen to him by now, and he's telling his story to King Agrippa. And so this is what he says to King Agrippa in chapter 26, verse 19. He says, uh, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts, tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and I testify to small and great, to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise, to, uh, as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles." Verse 24, at this point, Festus interrupted Paul, Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Well, yeah, right? <laughs> some stories probably sound like that. I won't tell you it, but I know sometimes the first time I heard my parents' story, the only reason why I believe it is because I'm a kid. I've never heard them tell that to anyone. But all of a sudden, they started talking about some of these things that were going on in their life. And I'm like, anybody else listening to that story would kind of go, man, they're nuts. Um, some stories may sound kind of, well, God is a God of just incredible things, right? Isn't he? He is. But... This is what God's been up to. That's what it is. That's what Paul said. This is what God, he's been using me to preach the gospel ever since, and I have, failed, I, I, I have not failed to do that. The power is in the story. It's, see, Luke tells this story three times in, in three different ways. He tells it the first time, the original, this is, this is what has happened. You know, as a means, I, I really think of, of helping us to kind of get introduced for, to, to the Apostle Paul. I mean, it kind of a transition from the person of Peter all uh, over to Paul. 
I think is, is, is what he's doing. But, but then he shows up in chapter 22 and he tells this story more kind of I think of as a, a way of saying that this is what God has commissioned me to do and I'm carrying that out. I'm carrying out my, my commission. And then in chapter 26 he tells it as this, as this, is, um, this is God's compelling story and Agrippa, don't you want to be like me? Right? He's telling it to a king, Agrippa. And Agrippa says, well, do you really think, Paul, that in such a short time you're going to convince me to be a follower of Jesus? And how does Paul respond? You see that in verses 25 and 26. How does Paul respond? He says, King Agrippa, outside of these chains that I'm in right now, outside of these prison chains, I wish you were just like me. See, there's a compulsion in his story, in God's story, for making, um, for people to make a decision. And see, the power of story is the fact that it, that it, it opens doors. The power of story is that it lets you into someone else's life to hear how God has worked in their life. The, the wonder of story is that, that you, can't, you really can't argue with story, Right? I mean, it's just a story. You're not going to say to Saul, you know, I'm afraid God is just, God just doesn't strike people down like that, right? God doesn't talk to people on horses. Well, you can't. You can say that if you want, but, but he did. He did that for, for, for Saul. You, you could tell me that if you wanted to that, that, that God can't use deadbeat friends to convince people to believe in his son. But I'm here to tell you today that's what he did in my life. <laughs> now you can tell me I'm lying, but that's not very nice, right? This is my story. The only option you really have when I tell you my story is to, to listen. And, but but it's, it's, the, it's the power of story, too. And, and the power of story is that you just can't avoid it. You know, it's like when somebody starts telling you a story, uh, you know, as soon as you hear that line, once upon a time, it's like everybody just kind of scoots in and listens, right? They stand at attention and, uh, you know, and, and, oh, it's a story. I like to hear a story. But life is made up of stories. And so when we tell our story, we have the opportunity to gain a hearing, I think, with people to open the door into somebody else's life. And, and the wonder of stories is that you have a story, and I have a story, and they have a story, she has one, he has one, you know. We all have a story to tell. Maybe we should say that. I have a story. Can you say it? I have a story. We do. And when my story isn't the right story to, to connect with your story, somebody else's will, right? It's why we just need to keep telling our story because as we tell it, people will relate. Someone's going to relate to it. Um, I, got, I found this quote. Annette Simmons, she's the uh, president of uh, a group process consulting organization. And um, she's, she wrote a book called The Story Factor. And um, this is what she says. She says, story, I think I got the quote up there. She says, story is your path to creating faith. Now, keep in mind here, she's not talking about this from a Christian perspective, actually. Um, she's just talking about creating faith in you kind of thing. So this isn't faith in God. Um, 
She goes on to say, telling a meaningful story inspires your listeners. It inspires your listeners to reach the same conclusion that you have reached and to decide for themselves to believe what you say and to do what you want them to do. People value their own conclusions more highly than yours. They will only have faith in a story that has become real for them personally. Once people make your story their story, you have tapped into the powerful force of faith. Future influence will require very little follow-up energy from you and maybe even expand as people recall and retell your story to others, whether your story is told through your life or in your words. The first criteria people require before they allow themselves to be influenced by your story is can they trust you? It's the power of story. And this woman recognizes it in the business community. And it's no more true than in the church that when you tell your story, you build credi credibility with other people. But, but we, have, we all have a story. I have one. And you have one too. And people need to hear your story. They need to hear my story. They need to hear our story. It may be the story of faith. It may be the story uh, of one who has been a faithful follower of Jesus Christ all of their life. Or you know, maybe that's your story. That really is a story to tell. I, I remember a guy that I had, and his name's Bruce, good friend of mine. Um, went to college with him, and I remember one time he was kind of a sensitive boy. Big, tall guy. Big guy, wide. Farm, grew up on a farm, so we, you know, we have some farmers here. Big, tall guy, and we got into a group together, and we were traveling from college to college and not doing all this stuff like that. And, and, and Luke, Bruce had kind of a sensitive side to him a little bit. And uh, one of the times we were sitting down and he just kind of, he just felt really bad and kind of had a little few tears and everything else because he'd never had a, he'd never done all the things that everybody else had done in high school and wasn't smoking something weird and wasn't doing, he, he just had, had a clean life and he'd, he'd always been in the church. He's like, he didn't think he had any. I was like, well, wait a minute. That is an awesome testimony, isn't it? That you've made that decision to be, you know, like, that, that, that certainly is a, you know, you know back, in, back in the 80s and 90s, the, the big testimony was, well, I, was, I did this and I did, it was so bad. And I, you know, well, can you imagine being able to say, hey, I don't have all that junk in my head, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? And, uh, you know, I just pointed out to Bruce, I was like, man, I, I envy that of you because you've made these decisions and you've been that faithful follower. That is certainly, if that's your story, it, it certainly needs to be told. And of course, there's those on the other end of that. And it's, it's, it's not a life of faith. It's not, it, it, but it's a life, it, it, it's a life of not following Jesus. But that doesn't make any difference. If your story ends with Jesus as Savior, as your Savior, you know, you have a future. And so I, the call this morning really is very simple. And, and it's, it's this, just to tell your story, right? Because when your story gets told, it becomes our story. And, and when it becomes our story, then the story becomes real in the hearts and in the lives of people, right? Well, we're going to move from right here into the Lord's Supper. And that is his story. 
See, this is just a story. Um, it is all that, that that's all it really is is it, that when we come to the to, to the Lord's Supper it's all it is is 